Hello, and welcome to this special live in-person edition of the Gestalt IT Rundown for July 7th, 2021. I am your Silver Bullet host, Tom Hollingsworth, and joining me as always is the golden standard of co-hosts, Stephen Foskett. Stephen, thank you for joining me in the room today. In the room in beautiful Golden, Colorado. If you're looking for a tourist destination, why not try Colorado? And with that message, not sponsored by the Colorado Tourism Board, we are going to jump into some of the news stories that have been popping up this week. It's been a busy week, and it feels like an old standard version of the rundown. We got some ransomware stories, we're going to be talking about the Jedi contract, and we might even talk about some 5G. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into our first story, which is involving one of our favorite Tech Field Day presenters. Uh, Cloud Field Day 11 presenter Zerto announced last week that they're being bought by HPE. The company is being purchased for a reported $374 million, which is about twice what they've been valued at in the previous few months. This acquisition will see Zerto being folded into the HPE storage division, but the real value comes from the fact that it's going to be integrated into everyone's favorite behemoth, HPE GreenLake, to provide disaster recovery and cloud data management services to customers who are looking to work all the way to the edge and back into the cloud. Now, Stephen, you know a lot about Zerto, and you know a lot about HPE GreenLake. What are your thoughts on this acquisition? Well, I think this acquisition is a tremendous buy for our friends over at HPE. Uh, Zerto has really great technology. Uh, customers love it. It works really well. They've kept it up to date. Um, this is a company that uh, first appeared in the early stages of the transformation of the enterprise data center from uh, the traditional on-premises model and virtualization into more of a cloud model. And Zerto has done a really nice job of updating their product to make it be a, a cloud-appropriate product. And in fact, at, uh, as you mentioned, at Cloud uh, Field Day 11, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Zerto showed the product doing some pretty cool things in terms of moving applications uh, from on-premises into the cloud, moving it between clouds, and all of this suggests that this software was really poised to continue, not just to be a valuable component, but to grow in the enterprise data center. Um, that being said, uh, this acquisition is kind of puzzling because frankly, Zerto is being sold for um, you know, two, two and a half times what they took in in uh, venture funding, reportedly. And frankly, uh, the multiple is not even that high on their annual recurring revenue basis. So uh, this is a company that is is being sold for decent money, but not amazing money, which means again that HPE is walking away here with a gem at a discount price. So frankly, I feel like this is a great buy for HPE. It's great news for HPE. It was probably needed by Zerto Management and they did it and uh, they did it at a, at a positive and so everybody should be happy with this. Uh, Tom, uh, turning on to another story here, uh, chip manufacturer Broadcom found itself in the crosshairs of the FTC last week. Uh, the press release detailed that the company was being charged with monopolistic practices ranging from requiring customers to purchase chips uh, with certain other products such as Wi-Fi chipsets or signal converters, uh, as well as forbidding the customers from buying chips from any other supplier. The FTC announced the settlement that included a fine as well as a promise from Broadcom not to engage in this sort of practice going forward and not to retaliate against customers uh, that were involved in the suit. 
Uh, Tom, what does this mean for the chip giant that uh, in the middle of a global chip shortage? Well, I thought this was a really funny story to just kind of come out of nowhere that not only did we catch them doing it, we've already fined them and extracted a promise for this to never happen again, which is worth the paper that it's written on because we know this is going to happen again. All giant chip manufacturers are getting to the point where they're kind of the same when it comes to the technology. So how are you going to differentiate? You're either going to innovate or you're going to force people not to be able to buy the competitors. And I felt like this is really shady because it wasn't just that they were doing this for networking chips. They were doing this across the board. Set-top boxes for cable companies. They were forcing those companies to buy integrated Broadcom chipsets along with the chips that they needed to build the cable boxes. Well, if you're going to be forced to buy the Wi-Fi chipsets, you might as well put the Wi-Fi in there from Broadcom anyway. And yeah, kids, if you want a textbook version, a definition of a monopoly, that's it. And so the FTC, which by the way is now headed by a hard charging uh, head who has vowed to get rid of all of these problems. So this is like week one on the job and they've already smacked the wrists of Broadcom pretty hard. I think the fine is going to be a pittance because we know how much money Broadcom makes on the market. I think the promise was twofold. It wasn't just don't do this anymore. It's don't retaliate against companies that are buying your competitors' chipsets, which is a pretty telling, very oddly specific thing to put in the order. You know how you look on the back of a can of, of aerosol and it says, please do not drop this into a fire with a small group of school children? Really? That's a pretty oddly specific thing, and that's kind of what I felt like here. I don't think Broadcom's really going to abide by it, though, because Broadcom is too big to honestly give a crap. I think what they're going to do is they're going to peel back on this a little bit. They're going to give it a couple of years to play out, and then we're going to see the same order coming up you know, in 2023 again, where, hey, we caught you doing this again, and you promised you weren't going to do it until you make the fine big enough or you make the penalty large enough that they're not going to want to do this again. All you're doing is shedding light on this. And honestly, you kind of all did it at once, and it almost got all lost in the news, considering everything that's been going on. So Broadcom, friends, you don't have the best track record of playing nice with others right now. Use this as your opportunity to extend a little bit of goodwill, because you don't want to find yourself in the news again. All right, Stephen, uh, I have an exciting story for you, because it involves technology and baseball. This year's. MLB Home Run Derby will have a new angle for sports fans because T-Mobile is going to be putting helmet cams on the players that are participating on the field to bring you the action up close and personal. And how are they going to manage to stream all of that HD video back to the broadcast location? If you guessed 5G, you'd be right. Because T-Mobile has said that all of that increased 5G bandwidth will allow them to make sure that all of that action can be streamed from the helmet cams that they're going to be putting on during batting practice and the cams that are going to be on the players and the catcher during the actual home run derby itself. Now, Stephen, I know that 5G is kind of a architecture term right now, and there really hasn't been a whole lot of great applications for it, but could the secret really be baseball? Uh, Tom, generally the secret is baseball, and um, you know, truly, uh, you'd be amazed at uh, what you can accomplish uh, by mixing technology and baseball. You can do stupid stuff like everything on ESPN, or you can actually do useful things. And um, uh, we'll see if this is useful. Uh, frankly, the home run derby definitely falls on the stupid stuff divide of uh, baseball uh, generally. Uh, the all-star game also is moderately stupid if you're a baseball fan. But um, frankly, uh, the home run derby is fun. And it's fun to be able to see these guys swinging for the fences. and. Uh, it's going to be fun, I think, to see a new perspective on that. 
Um, personally, I really enjoy the mic up the players on the field thing that they do sometimes in baseball. That's actually a lot of fun because you kind of catch the people's personality more. And I'm wondering if this is going to be like that. But the tech story here, the tech angle here, is that frankly, um, it's demonstrating that 5G can provide uh, tremendous amounts of bandwidth with tremendous numbers of uh, clients all in the, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the areas that 5G is supposed to excel at, and this is a chance for us to find out if that's really true. Uh, the one thing I'll, I'll just point out, though, is that the history of um, exploring new technologies in situations like this is not all that solid. And so I think we might have an amusing story about T-Mobile's uh, alleged 5G dominance falling over in a very public spectacle. Um, I hope that's not the case. But you know, it could happen. These things happen sometimes. Um, best of luck to you, and uh, go Shohei Otani. Um, the acquisition of uh, Red Hat by IBM, Tom, appears to have gone as well as could be expected. Uh, but it looks like it's time for some of the players to exit the stage. IBM announced last week that Jim Whitehurst, president of IBM, is stepping down along with uh, Bridget Van Kralingen, uh, SVP of Global Markets. Uh, Arvind Krishna, the CEO of um, IBM, uh, made the announcement. And uh, just for context, Whitehurst was formerly the CEO of Red Hat. Uh, he was part of the deal that brought Red Hat into IBM. He became IBM president after that acquisition. And many people, including yours truly, felt that Whitehurst was kind of going to engineer a takeover of IBM more than the Red, you know, IBM taking over Red Hat. Well, that doesn't seem to be happening. Tom, uh, what do you think about this, Mr. IBM? Well, so as full disclosure, I am an IBMer for you know from 20 years ago, and uh, I know that in the last few months of the rundown, you've probably heard me say the phrase, "This is not Tom Watson's IBM," over and over and over again. I can finally eat a little bit of crow because this is Tom Watson's IBM. For those of you who don't know, uh, in the show notes we have the press release from Arvind Krishna who was thanking his friends for, for their service and moving on. And he noted that he did name a few successors for people that were leaving, but he did not name a successor for Whitehurst. He's staying on as an advisor. But then if you read the other story that's in the show notes, which is from CRN, which is actually an interview with uh, some of the people who were in the room with Whitehurst right before he left, um, it reads a lot more like what I would consider to be a traditional IBM story, which was a person who was very focused on innovation, butting their heads against the corporate structure that would not allow that to work. Because IBM is not move fast and break things. They are move as slow as possible doing everything we can and whichever thing survives is the thing we'll do going forward. Which was a great business model in the 70s, in the 80s, and when you really needed that. But you know, as Lou Gerstner figured out in the 90s and beyond, you can't do that in a modern organization. And let's be fair, this wasn't IBM buying some fly-by-night tech startup that had some good ideas but just needed a little seasoning. This is Red Hat. They led the Linux market forever. And as Stephen mentioned, we all had high hopes that this whole idea of the way that Red Hat did business was going to jump into IBM and kind of reinvigorate them because Big Blue is mostly the Big Blue Titanic. And with Whitehurst exiting so quickly after this, do you know what that says to me? Ain't nobody going to change IBM. And that's a sad thing. So I don't think that Whitehurst and Bridget leaving is 
just an occurrence that's happening randomly, I bet you we're going to see a lot of departures of former Red Hat staff and possibly even some of the folks inside of IBM who had this high hope that they were going to get back into this more progressive, quick firing kind of, of uh, innovation. And I think what they're going to do is they're just going to get mad and go work for other companies and do the thing they wanted to do. And we're going to hopefully see that IBM can survive that. But how many times in the past have we said that IBM's pivots feel really weird and I hope that they're able to survive this? You know, there are levels of survival that IBM is going to have to be willing to accept if they want to continue to move forward. All right, Stephen, uh, we had a couple of stories that required a closer look because they are really kind of bigger transcendent stories that uh, have been going on in the industry. And if you are a fan of the Gestalt IT rundown, you will probably recognize the letters J-E-D-I. It's something that Rich Straffolino and I have talked about on a number of occasions, and something that Stephen and I have brought up recently as well. <clears throat> the U.S. Government Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure contract is changing a little bit. Now, for context, we all know that back in 2019, the JEDI contract was awarded to our friends over at Microsoft over frontrunner Amazon. It had been placed under a reconsideration back in March of 2020 because Amazon raised allegations that the reason for the award was politically motivated. And given that this is the US government, you can pretty much guarantee that that was the case. So just like a good parent who's dealing with two kids fighting over a toy, the Department of Defense announced that they're going to rescind the $10 billion contract and they're going to do something different. Um, now, what they've said officially is that the needs of the JEDI contract have actually changed over the last few years. So they're going to do something different. And in case you're wondering, no, the new one is not named Sith, which would have been really cool. It is the Joint Warfighting Cloud Capability Project. So what they've done is they've changed the parameters and they've reopened the contract for bidding to Microsoft, Amazon, and a whole bunch of other people who, according to the press release, meet the requirements of the Department of Defense. So basically, no Chinese cloud companies. Amazon, in a release, said, we agree with this. However, we're still not 100% certain that you're not going to use political motivations in order to award this to somebody who's not us, especially if anybody in your government still has a tiff with the guy who owns or used to run our company before he decided to become an astronaut. Um, Stephen, this crazy story seems to be the gift that keeps on giving for years and years and years. And now we're back to square one. So where does the process for the JWIC, are we, is that what we're calling it now? Where does this whole thing go for now? Well, first of all, I'm going to call it the Joint Advanced Warfighter Activity Contract, or JAWA for short. So <laughs> uh, that's, that's officially what it's not called. Uh, no, the, the important thing here is that effectively the uh, government has decided to cut the baby in half. And, um, and I guess that's kind of what they needed to do because uh, by all accounts, uh, not like we have super secret insider information, but there are lots of accounts that demonstrate that this, uh, this, uh, the JEDI contract should have been Amazon's contract and it ended up being Microsoft's contract and that was all politically motivated. And, um, and in fact, this judge found that that was true, or at least found that that was likely true, and that's why she stopped the implementation of JEDI. Let's just be clear, JEDI was going to be introduced, I believe, on February 21st, 2020, and the judge issued an injunction to stop the implementation of JEDI on February 20th. <laughs> yeah, literally the day before it was supposed to go live, they, they powered it down, metaphorically speaking, and, um, and, and said, no, 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 because she felt that the case had merit, that the Amazon case had merit. 
And I think most people in the industry, and most of us, uh, hello, Rich Straffolino, think that the case probably had merit as well. Um, and frankly, this is maybe a way to make the whole thing move forward, because if you are the uh, Air Force and you need a new cloud computing capability, if you're the Army and you, know, you need to be able to have a scalable compute and AI system, um, you kind of needed it to move forward without all this you know, battles in court and everything. So I think the real um, answer here, I think what's ultimately going to happen with the JWCC, which is last not called JAWA, is uh, that the contract is going to be divided in half or in, in some kind of parts, and we're going to see Microsoft get some and Amazon get some, and both of them will whine and moan that this is not good, but at least it'll happen. And then at least the military can have their cloud computing infrastructure like they wanted. So frankly, I feel like that's what's going to happen. Um, the JWCC contract also probably includes some next generation capabilities that weren't possible when the original Jedi contract was spec'd out, which was now a few years back, and that's probably good for the industry. Yeah. And I know that there are a lot of people at Microsoft who are really like putting this feather in their cap as like, this is our big win. We went head to head with Amazon and we won a huge contract. Here's the thing, guys. If your technology is good enough to win, it'll win again. And, and it will win hands down. But if there's any question that you got this contract, not because you were the best, but because the other guy made the person in charge mad, you don't want that specter hanging over your head. You want to say you have the best technology. And like Steven said, if they end up splitting this contract in half, then, you know, just like King Solomon, everybody gets a little piece. Except for Oracle Cloud, because let's face it, that's not going to happen. Well... Sorry, Larry Ellison, friend of the friend of the show. Friend of the show. Um, so, hey, Tom, mm -hmm. um, is it Wednesday? I think it's Wednesday. Oh, that means there must be another ransomware story, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? Um, you know, over the holiday weekend uh, here in the U.S., uh, we learned that uh, the prolific uh, ransomware crew known as R Evil. That's what I'm gonna call them now. Uh, exploited the Kaseya VSA, a tool which is designed to help deploy patches and updates to client machines. Uh, the exploit affected around 50 of Kaseya's customers directly. But guess what? Those customers are MSPs. So in the end, about 1,500 other companies were affected as well, from uh, a dentist office in Des Moines, I made up the Des Moines part, to a large Swedish supermarket chain. I did not make up the Swedish part. Uh, that was unable to take payments because their payment processor used Kaseya. The R evil group isn't sitting still. They've offered to provide a decryption tool for $70 million. Uh, the recent uptake of ransomware crimes appears to be moving along faster now, Tom. So exciting. What are your thoughts? I, my thoughts go out to the people who got to spend their 4th of July weekend cleaning up this mess because we started seeing this breaking on Friday night. I, my Twitter feed lit up like a Christmas tree because they were starting to see very interesting malware deployments that were not being countered. So for those of you who don't know, Kaseya VSA is very similar to every corporate fleet management tool that you've ever used that allows a centralized authority to be able to push down things like antivirus updates and system patches. Well, one of the things that Kaseya tells you when you install their software is, oh, you need to disable antivirus because what we do looks like a virus and we don't want you to be able to scan our files, even though, according to most experts, you could probably leave the antivirus on. But what it did allow Revil, and that's what I'm going to call him, to do 
was to bypass all of the security controls. And let's be fair, these gentlemen and ladies and cybersecurity experts have a flair for the dramatic because the way that they chose to deploy their encrypted ransomware DLL files was by sideloading them in Windows Defender. That's like shooting a police officer with their own gun because they really wanted to make sure that they stuck it to these people and they deployed quickly, which actually is one of the benefits of using a tool like Kaseya is that you can roll this out at lightning speed. Now, the timing was not a coincidence. They knew that people were gonna be spinning down for a long holiday weekend and likely not gonna be back into the office until Tuesday morning. And by that point, it was gonna to be too late. I don't think that picking a VSA tool like Kaseya was any accident either because it's not just the direct damage that you can do to these companies, it's the splash damage from everything else that you can get your fingers on. And there were a lot of incident responders who were just scrambling as fast as they could. And this thing just kept popping back up because it kept getting redeployed onto the systems. And Kaseya took a big shot in the face because of the fact that basically they are amateur hour, according to the analysis that I've seen. It was our old favorite on authentication bypass on an internet facing system that allowed them to get in in the first place. But there were no controls to be able to stop this kind of thing, to shut it off, because why would you want to shut down a patch deployment? So now Revil gets out whenever everyone's back in regular land and said, okay, 70 million ought to do it, although I've heard they're willing to negotiate because most likely they are. And now a lot of people are looking at Kaseya going, you're paying for this, right? Because you did this to us, not us. We followed your directions and we got screwed for it. So this story is just gonna be the gift that keeps on giving because we haven't heard the last of this. And in case you're wondering, yeah, a lot of the people who worked for Darkseid, who was that little group that shut down the Colonial Pipeline a while back, yeah, they came from Revil. So I think that this is not just a let's do dumb things and break stuff on the internet. This is, I'm gonna show you that you're messing with people that you shouldn't touch, which now elevates this to a level of nation states because these groups operate reportedly out of Eastern Europe and Russia. So now does the US government who has already intervened in the case of the colonial pipeline, step back in with a known threat actor saying, all right, it's time to get serious. If you don't do something about this, we will. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna pick up the nation state aspect of this. I don't wanna get political, but um, it's important to remember that we just had a summit where the president of the United States and the president of Russia met. And reportedly, one of the main topics of that conversation was the United States proposing that Russia and the United States collaborate and crack down on cyber criminals and cyber terrorists, basically. And um, apparently, President Biden came out of that uh, discussion thinking that they had won some kind of agreement. And just like the previous president, I think President Biden is gonna learn that uh, whatever you think you had with Putin, you don't have it. Um, this guy is not stopping these ransomware crews. I think that the message of this attack may have actually been as much to the US government and even the Russian government as it was to industry. In other words, not only did we do this to you, but we can do this to you and we will do this to you and no uh, chit chat between Vlad and Joe is gonna stop us from doing this. And frankly, I think that that's the case and I think that the only thing that is gonna stop them from doing this is a major nation state response. I think we might be on the cusp of seeing something truly unprecedented because uh, clearly uh, the Biden administration takes this very seriously and um, clearly 
Putin's government has the ability to do something about this. The fact that they're not means that they choose not to. And frankly, that is right up there in terms of geopolitical escalation. So I think we're going to see a situation now where uh, the United States government gets involved. Um, we already have the FBI and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency getting involved in this. And I think this is going to be another key that's going to point toward a kind of a cyber war here between the U.S. and Russia over Russian criminals. Yeah, for those of you out there who are not nation states, just work in your regular IT job. Just make sure you have good backups. Make sure that you have a good incident response plan, that your defenses are in depth, and make sure you tune in every week for the Gestalt IT Rundown, where we bring you more updated news about stories like this, and hopefully no more ransomware attacks, but let's be fair, it's 2021. Uh, we go live online at 1230 Eastern Time every Wednesday. Um, we have a lot of great stories that we collect throughout the week, but that's not the only thing we do because we have a lot of other great things going on. Stephen, what are some of the things that you're working on that people should definitely check out? Well, uh, I'm actually planning for uh, the Storage Field Day event that we've got coming up here in August, uh, but I've actually been pretty excited about what's coming up here in uh, next week in, Ju or in July here uh, with uh, Cisco and uh, Mobility Field Day, which I know we'll hear about in a second. Another thing I want to mention is that you're going to see another face here on the rundown uh, over the next month. Uh, substituting out for Tom or for me is going to be our friend Zach Meyer, who is our uh, content writer and editor here at GestaltIT.com. And I know that you're going to like Zach. I know that you're going to enjoy his commentary and enjoy getting to know him uh, over the next month or so. So frankly, for me, that's, that's a pretty exciting thing to have uh, a new face here on the rundown. And as Stephen mentioned, it's going to be a busy week for me next week because I've got a special event coming up with Cisco talking about future cloud, some of their hybrid cloud aspirations, uh, some recent announcements that they made. Of course, they want to come back to Tech Field Day to talk to the great group of influencers and experts that we have in the room and get some good discussion. And then the next day and through the rest of the week is one of my favorite events, Mobility Field Day. So if you're excited for Enterprise Wireless, uh, 5G, CBRS, a whole bunch of acronyms that you probably need to read up on, you're definitely going to want to tune in. We've got a great lineup of some brand new delegates that I'm super excited to talk to, some old favorites who have a great perspective on the enterprise wireless community, and a lot of great companies. So uh, check out the website, techfieldday.com. Click on the link for Mobility Field Day and uh, check the lineup, check the schedule, make sure you set calendar reminders, you got the coffee pot ready to go so that you're going to stay caffeinated and excited for all the things that we're doing. And don't forget that there will be an episode of The Rundown next week. Um, it will be Stephen and Zach. And if you have the opportunity, head over to gestaltit.com and look for Zach DeMeyer and check out some of the articles that he's been writing so you get an, a feel for how he approaches the news. I think you'll really enjoy it too. But for now, for Tom Hollingsworth, Stephen Foskett, Zach DeMeyer, and all of our wonderful family here at Gestalt IT, including all of you excellent community members out there, thank you very much for tuning in and have an excellent day. Our evil. <laughs> <laughs>